Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. We're going to be doing a series this month, and it's, uh, you know, it's the holiday season or whatever, and Christmas is right around the time we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, And uh, so today I'm actually going to be talking about uh, the process of birthing. Um, and, um, uh, and, uh, you'll, you'll see kind of here in a moment what I'm talking about, but, uh, you know, so only some of us are, are women in here and only some of us have given birth. Uh, my wife has given birth to four amazing kids. I love them so much and, um, they're extraordinary. And, uh, so I've gotten to kind of see and partner with the wifey as she's gone through those pregnancies. Uh, and of course, today is not going to be talking about all of us going through pragmatic births or literal physical birthing processes, but uh, we're going to be talking about and focusing on um, the seed of Jesus inside of us. Uh, in First Peter one twenty two through twenty three and First John three nine, we'll start there and we'll talk about what it looks like uh, to really understand. And we're going to look uh, to Mary's experience. Uh, and, and this coming and this promise of the birth of Jesus uh, and Mary's experience in this for us to understand what it truly means to partner with God as he births things inside of us or as he develops and cultivates his nature in our life. So it, uh, it's going to be, uh, I think, a really important to understand that uh, although not all of us are women and can relate to maybe Mary and the, uh, the female aspect of it, uh, that nonetheless God has uh, planted seeds inside of us and he's cultivating those things, and he's bringing new life. And it's so important that we know how to partner with God uh, as Jesus grows in our life and takes up more room in our behavior and our attitude. Uh, and so we're going to start in 1 Peter 1, through 23. And it says, Having been purified or having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So you can see scripturally, there's this understanding, this idea that uh, if you've received Jesus into your life, you've got this seed, you've got this imperishable, indestructible uh, seed inside of you. uh, And this seed is growing. Uh, when you first get saved, you, you don't go from being uh, a pagan to being a fully mature Christian. Uh, do you remember when you first received Jesus in your life? Have you matured a lot since then? Have you become more like Jesus since then? Hopefully. <laughs> if not, then, uh, then it looks like realizing a true walk with God because a true walk with God changes your behavior from pagan or sinful to Christ-like. You cannot tell me you're following Jesus actively if you don't have behavior changes taking place. These aren't just good ideas, you know? This isn't Sunday school where we learn about Jesus and yay. This is actually, we learn about God, we experience God, God lives inside of us, and God actually changes us. And the changes are not just surface or sentimental. They're actually behavioral shifts. And nothing is harder than changing somebody's behavior 
especially when they've been behaving, been behaving that way for a long time. Long periods of behavior. And, and at some point you start to kind of get to an age where you're like, I think this is maybe who I am. <laughs> and you're like thinking about it. And then you start to interact with God over, am I actually able to change? Am I actually able to shift these tendencies or have breakthrough? Have any of you wrestled with certain places of your life where you actually started to question whether that you know, whether or not you'd be able to change them or overcome them? Some of you might be in that place right now. And what you're what you've got taking place is you've got this spirit and this flesh battle in your life and the seed of God and how we partner with these seeds of God in our life is really important for us to overcome our other tendencies and behaviors. And you can actually see in 1 John 3, 9, that these seeds inside of us actually relate to behavior. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So you see this seed that exists inside of you, it doesn't actually sin. Uh, the elements and the ingredients that exist inside of you that sin are those fleshly, those earthly desires, those lustly ones, uh, those lustful or those prideful ones. These are the tendencies that want to continue to take room inside of you, want to continue to dictate your behavior. And so this seed of Jesus inside of you, like you accepted Jesus in your heart, you're like, yay, I'm going to say this prayer which, yeah, the prayer isn't the full act of salvation. It is meaningful to pray. Like when you first accepted Jesus in your life, how many of you said a prayer of salvation? How many of you didn't and you just kind of it began? <laughs> it's not necessarily impossible, right? Uh, because the prayer itself isn't salvation. Uh, it's just kind of a marking point, kind of a memorialization of a beginning. It's like the beginning credits of a movie. It's like, all right, cool. Like, it's the movies began, but by far, by no means is the beginning credits of a movie the beginning, or the full movie, I should say. So it's just the beginning credits. When you say that salvation prayer, it's like the rest of the movie is yet to come, and it's really exciting. Very, very exciting. Very, very, very exciting. Um, and uh, so when you see these things, you, you realize, okay, there is this seed that exists inside of me, and if behavior change isn't taking place, then I, knew, I need to do a better job partnering with this seed in my life. Uh, so when Jess first, when we first found out that Brixton, our oldest, when she was pregnant with Brixton, uh, we were really, really excited. And there were some things I noticed about the beginning stages of Jess being pregnant, which was that she started doing some things differently. Because Brixton was just a little tiny seed in there growing. And, but ultimately, you, we had to make some adjustments to our life, right? So Jess, like, uh, she couldn't go on roller coasters for like five years. Because we just kept having kids back to back to back. And so like, every time we ended up at a theme park, she was like pregnant or had an infant. And I wasn't going to hold the infant, you know, so uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but every time it was just bad timing. She couldn't go on a roller coaster for five years because when you have like a seed and some of these things that God is doing in your life, they're at a very infantile or a very fragile phase. Have you noticed this? That some of the things, like some of the growth aspects God wants to do with you when he first starts to do with them, they're really fragile. 
And like, if Jess were to be like, nah, I doubt I'm pregnant after getting the pregnancy results, then she would have behaved as if she wasn't pregnant, which could have jeopardized the pregnancy or the seed that was growing inside of her. See, when God begins a work in your life and it's just at seed phase, it hasn't bore fruit yet, it's important that you treat it with a certain amount of protection and reverence, a certain amount of focus and attention to it that you, you, you abstain from certain things and you engage in other things and you don't do other things and you do some other things that you weren't doing. It's so important that when you have this seed of Jesus growing inside of you, you understand that in some ways it's very fragile. And in certain seasons and phases, it's important that you learn to protect what God is doing, especially early on. Because these seeds of God inside of us, they were always meant to bear fruit. They're always meant to grow up into maturity, into a full tree that would bear fruit. What fruit are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Galatians 5.22 states them all for you. And these fruits of the Spirit, they're they're Jesus fully realized inside of you. And when we should be said, like when we talk about these seeds, when we talk about even having seeds sown in us, a lot of times we reference like sermons or like being prayed for as like, man, I really received something good there. How many of you have said that about a sermon? Like, oh man, I really received that. I got those seeds inside of me. That's really, really good. And so sometimes it could lead us to believe because of this common language that like we are receiving another part of Jesus that we didn't yet have. But that's not the case. Really what's taking place is when you receive Jesus into your life, you actually received the fullness of Jesus. And these new sermons or teachings or encouragements and edifications you get, they're not new Jesus being added to you. What is actually taking place is they're just revealing that which lives inside of you. So growth and maturity doesn't look like adding Jesus or adding ingredients of Jesus you're missing. It actually just looks like you partnering better with that living Jesus inside of you. So you allow the behavior and the nature of Jesus inside of you to actually take up more room, more behavior room, more attitude room, more dreaming room, more thoughtfulness room. Like my personality type, it's not naturally thoughtful, right? It's just not. And I'm okay with it. It's not naturally thoughtful. It's something I've had to, Barb's over here laughing. She knows me, I guess. It's not naturally thoughtful. My wife's is. She walks in the room immediately. She thinks about what everyone needs. And when I first started, we started talking about this when we were dating. I'm like, how could you think like that? That must be so exhausting to think about what everyone needs all the time. How do you do that? I was like, I just walk in a room and I immediately know what I need and then I'm good. And so it took, it took a, a, a sincere amount of effort to partner with Jesus who lives inside of me because Jesus is thoughtful. He is. He's also very strong, right? He's also not going to compromise his emotions because somebody else has it, right? So Jesus has a perfect balance in his health and emotions. He's both of these things in full, beautiful maturity, right? But, but the reality is, is the Jesus inside of me would walk into a room and feel and think differently than my natural instincts. So then I allowed myself to become more like Jesus and allow Jesus to take up more room in my thought process, in my mindset, in the way I approached things, in the way I I lived and breathed and had my being. 
And the same thing is taking place with each one of us all of the time. You look at the fruits of the Spirit, if any of them are missing in your behavior, what it looks like is a great partnership with Jesus to realize that seed is growing into fruitfulness in those areas which you are lacking. So rather than being insecure and sensitive about what you and I are lacking, we can be really excited about what we're lacking because it's potential growth of Jesus inside of us. So you're realizing the fullness of and the implications of Jesus living inside of you. So when you receive something from somebody, they're helping to reveal the nature of Jesus and its full consequence in your life. You're not getting or adding Jesus or the Spirit of God that you didn't yet have. You got all of Jesus when you invited him into your life. All of them. And that's really important because when you're looking to grow, it doesn't look like accessing something like this it actually looks like yielding to that which is living inside of you. That's why it says, it says, look, because he has been born of God. You can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. It's living. It's something that is living and breathing and it's active. And it's like a double-edged sword cutting between these places. It's, it's important that we see the fullness of God resides inside of us. Because if you, if you really see this accurately, It'll help you relate to bondage, brokenness, and lack much more effectively. Does this make sense? You have all of Jesus. So bondage, brokenness, and lack, these things ought to yield to Jesus, which lives inside of you. If you don't believe that the fullness of Jesus lives inside of you or live your life with that in mind, then you're going to begin to start thinking of yourself as an orphan or as poor and as lacking, as incapable, and it's going to be an insecure walk. It's it's really important that we see that the fullness of Jesus resides in us. And our partnership with the fullness of Jesus living inside of us ought to look like that seed is growing to take more room in our behavior and in our attitude. It shifts everything, and it changes everything. And when you see this place of promise over growth, have you, has anybody ever had like an encouragement or maybe a prophetic word over their life that somebody said something that was potential inside of you, saw some kind of potential? Potential is a really interesting bugger because in sports, potential is this really, really tricky thing. It's a booger. It really is. Because you, you, you start to pick people based on potential And you start to build teams based on potential, but potential doesn't always realize. And it takes time, and sometimes it never realizes what you think it could be. You've got that, I played basketball, so I I didn't have like the athletic potential that some of the guys around me had. Athletic potential being they could jump and touch the top of the backboard or something ridiculous, or they were just like fast, you know, they were just gone. Um, as soon as you like thought you had them, they were gone. And uh, I knew when I was playing college against Alabama University that athleticism was at a whole other level uh, because this one time I went up to try and grab the ball. And it was like kind of a loose ball and a fast break. And I might be speaking Chinese to some of you, but the basketball hoop was here and the ball was here. And me and this other guy went to go get it. And I was still down here trying to reach for the ball. And all of a sudden I see him shoot up with the ball. And jump in the air so fast and so high. I was like, and it just, boom. And I was like, wow. 
That was awesome. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll take the ball out. <laughs> and and you, you realize these places, though, of, of promise and potential, like God's saying something to you. You believe you're capable of something. And there is this image and this idea of what you can be, like with Jesus, and it's out there. And I want to relate us now and bring us to this, this concept of Jesus and, and the birth of Jesus through Mary. But about a thousand years before Jesus was born through Mary, the promise of Jesus came to David. And I want to read that to you in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Guys, this was about a thousand years before Jesus was born. Talk about a hope and a promise that is really taking forever to be fulfilled. And I think the same thing can take place in our life. Like we've got this promise of change, this promise of new life, this promise of breakthrough. And then all of a sudden, like it's just like year after year passes by or month after month passes by. And we start to grow really like, what is happening here? How come I haven't realized the change? How come I haven't realized the growth? How come that part of Jesus hasn't broken through inside of me yet? And you could see it with all of the Israelites. There was this, there was this hopelessness that started to kick in after all of this time. We're talking a thousand years of waiting for the promise. A thousand years. And if you study what happened with their kingdom all after David, it was, it was pretty much a train wreck after train wreck after train wreck until Jesus came. And even then he came in a way different and brought something different than they thought. But the reality is, is that hope deferred makes the heart sick or weary. It says it in Proverbs 13, 12, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So when you see this like thousand years of waiting, like it can't be a thousand years for us because we have a single lifetime, but there's been things you've been waiting for. There's been things that you've been wanting to change in your life and you haven't seen it take place and you haven't seen it change. And then this hope deferred starts to kick in. And there starts to be a sickness and a malaise that kicks in. Like, will I ever? Will it ever take place? Will Jesus actually ever be born in my life in this way? Will this seed actually ever grow to take up the room and free me in this way? Or cause a deliverance of this and that and the other? I mean, we really start to get challenged by this unchanging, unyielding sinfulness. This unchanging and this unyielding nature inside of us that refuses to be like Jesus. You can look at the Israelites and you could see they had this long wait for Jesus to be born. Long wait. I think we ought to realize that there's like, there's moments in our life and there's things in my life right now like I, I, can, I, can, I could feel the wrestle. I could feel the wrestle over losing hope for certain things. And I wonder if you can't sense and recognize that that, that hopelessness is trying to settle in and it's trying to, to seize you. It's trying to take your connection with God away. And these things inside of my life that it's like they're just trying to rob, they're trying to steal at my hope, they're trying to take these places of belief. Like belief is really a hard thing to maintain when nothing's happening. Promise unfulfilled, potential unfulfilled starts to really settle in in an awkward way. Starts to really kick into a spot in a space where you're like, I don't like this at all. And here's the challenge is that when hope starts to kick in and you start to have the sickness of heart take place, it doesn't just affect that one issue. It actually begins to affect the entire connection you have with Jesus. 
Because when Jesus has spoken, when Father has spoken, and he's going to deliver Son to your life, he's going to deliver this growth pattern in your life, it's too easy to doubt, especially when a lot of time has passed. It's too easy to doubt. And I believe that this time challenge, this passing time challenge, is one of the greatest tests of our faith. And how do you maintain faith when the outcome hasn't matched your desire? Like you want this outcome, you want it to change, you want it to be different, but how do you maintain, maintain faith? This is awesome. And mountain movers, man, I've always said it about our kids, they're mountain movers and floor movers, foundation movers. But how do, you, how, do you, how do you walk this out? How do you truly partner with God in a realistic way? How, how do you truly relate to God? Because at different points in times, it's like, is it really going to happen, God? Like, if you look at, I like Zechariah's story in this. And, and it's a really interesting one because in Luke 1, 19 through 20, it says, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And this is right after uh, uh, Gabriel Angel told Zechariah, hey, look, your son John the Baptist is going to be amazing and do all these things. He's going to make the way, make, make way for the Messiah, et cetera, et cetera. And Zechariah responds, and it says, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So you can see it in a couple of different times as it related to the birthing of Jesus that there was unbelief in some of the characters. And if you and I take a look at our lives, I think we can actually recognize the places of unbelief that exist inside of us as it relates to the potential of Jesus inside of us. And have maybe, maybe you can't recognize it in yourself, but maybe you can recognize it in how you relate to somebody else. There's a couple of characters in my life, a couple of relationships in my life that the idea of believing that they can have breakthrough in an unrelenting problem in their life has grown to be problematic for me. Have you ever had relationships in your life where you just stopped believing that they could become like Jesus in certain ways? It's, a, it's one of the greatest challenges for me because like, I'm like, I could do it, right? I could become like Jesus. I can grow to be like Jesus. But certain unrelenting people's bad stuff around me, I'm like, after a certain amount of years, maybe it feels like a thousand. You're like, I don't think they're ever going to change. And it becomes a challenge to the way you relate to God. And it actually begins to affect how you relate to yourself as well. Because if you start doubting that God can do a work in somebody else, then you'll also start to doubt he can do a work in your life. Doubting God in any way is a real challenge and a real relationship killer. I think you could even look at maybe marriages, and when you see doubt start to creep into a marriage for any reason, any reason at all, it's a killer. It's a killer because you start doubting, and then the doubt becomes painful, and then you start doubting more because that person acts hurt, and then doubt and hurt just storm and tornado into this awful thing. And recovering trust and recovering belief in one another is pivotal and it's even so, so very paramount importance. Because without a belief in one another in a covenant partnership, it's going to be really hard to have a healthy relationship. The same thing goes with God. Like if he speaks something to you, we must contend to believe. We must. 
So when God sends a messenger like Gabriel into your life to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is who you are. You've got to contend with your places of unbelief, just like Zechariah. Like God's going to speak into your life and you must believe. Like you've got to fight tooth and nail to believe in what God is doing in your life. Even if it's tiny and even if it's improbable because you're old and you don't really see pragmatically how it can make sense, you've got to believe, even if it's irrational. If the words of God being spoken to you don't make sense, don't trust your brain. Just just don't trust it. Whatever you think is pragmatic and makes sense logically, if God is saying something different, then believe that. Now, there's another problem altogether if you're not hearing from God. And what I would say to you is seek him. Like, look for him. Ask of him. Like, Zechariah, you know what I love about this proverbially for us? Is he just had to shut up for a little bit. I really think there's a lesson in this. I think some of our greatest relationship difficulties with God is that we don't stop talking and just listen. We're just like, blah, 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 blah. My problem this, my need this, my problem this, that person's the worst, curse them, send bears to them. Like we just, we just go on and on about the things that are in our hearts that we flood out of our mouth, just overflow the heart all the time. It's just like, Okay, here's what we're going to do. You're wrestling with unbelief and all of your language and narrative is unbelief. So let's silence that. So you're probably not going to have Gabriel show up and mute you. (laughs) So selectively and voluntarily mute your unbelief. Here's the lesson. Mute your unbelief. So if you don't have words of faith, true faith, true belief, then mute Mute, mute your words of unbelief. Well, I don't know, God. I'm not sure how you're going to whoop. That's fine that you don't know, but don't rehearse the unbelief over and over and over again because what you create is a bondage and a cycle of unbelief that will dictate everything you do. It'll create chaos. It'll create confusion. When the Israelites were marching in the desert and they were going around for 40 years in circles, it was due to a root of unbelief. Well, God, I don't know. You said that's our land. Walk in it. And wherever you set your foot, I'll give it to you. But did you see the giants? Yeesh, we're going to die. We're tiny compared to them. Mute yourself. If you're one of the 10 spies in the community and you're just negative and you mute yourself. If you don't have the faith yet, look at the two that have faith and be like, wow, mute, listen. So sometimes we find ourselves, and I'm not going to walk up to you and be like, hey guys, you're in a Zachariah season in your life, so you need to mute yourself. No, you got to recognize this for yourself is your narrative out of your mouth and out of everything you are right now, unbelief at your situation, then mute yourself and listen and find the words of God. They will be life. They will be bread. They will be water to your soul. So if you don't have a narrative of faith and belief, that's okay. That's okay. What's really nice about God is he speaks. He speaks to us, and you can find a narrative of belief. You just stop sharing your narrative. 
If it's not one of faith and belief, just stop sharing. Stop telling everybody about it. Stop rehearsing it over and over again. You know what's crazy about rehearsing a negative and unbelief narrative is you actually become an expert at the character. You rehearse a play enough, you're going to memorize its lingo. You're going to learn how to act like that character. Some of us have been, we've been in a play of unbelief for far too long. Get off the stage, burn the script, go find another play. Go find another set of language to rehearse, another, another a data point, another narrative, another storyteller. Like, go and listen to the story Jesus is telling about you authentically. Like, for real, what is Jesus saying in your life? I know what he was saying to David. And I know what was fulfilled in Mary in Luke 1, 30 through 33. It says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's the bookend, right? He said to David, look, there's going to be a, a, of your, there's going to be a, and he's going to have a, a, a house with no end. He's going to, it's going to be no end forever. And he says the same thing to Mary. And I want you to, to turn with me to Luke 1, 68 through 80, because you can see Zechariah initially got muted by the angel Gabriel because of his unbelief. But then you saw once he wrote the name John and then he could speak again, this is what he says. Luke 1, 68 through 80. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. And it goes on a little bit more, but I want you to recognize what happened here. Zechariah gets a word from the Lord. He gets a, a promise of what will be. He is in unbelief. God or Gabriel mutes him as a result of his unbelief, but it was for a purpose. It was so that in his mutinous, in his inability to communicate, he could find another narrative. And you actually just got to hear what Zechariah found. In his inability to speak, you got to see what he found. And it was powerful. It had foresight. It had trust and faith in God. It saw the redemptive narrative that God was doing. Look, if you can't see the redemptive narrative over your life, look like Zechariah did. Mute your narrative and look, where is his redemptive narrative in my life? What is he doing in my life? Find it. And for the people around you that you are having a really hard time finding God's redemptive narrative, mute the narrative you're sharing about them and find his redemptive narrative. Because I promise you he has one. I'm doing the same thing right now. Like I'm having to mute my narrative that I've been sharing, even in the confines of like with my wife. 
I was like, we've talked about it. So here's what I'm going to do. We're of the same mind and heart. So we've talked, right? So I'm not keeping secrets from her, but, but even with my wife, like I have to like, okay, we've talked about it. So here's what I'm going to do because now we're just rehearsing the same issues with the same people. So we've talked, we've shared, we've partnered, and let's, let's pray and let's mute on this thing until we find another narrative. Does that make sense? Sometimes we justify this bad narrative because it's with a confidant. I get it. Sometimes we got to share and process the thing. But man, when you're six months into the process and you're just saying the same script over and over again, take the script, throw it away, and find God's redemptive narrative. When you understand it's God's redemptive narrative, it's actually not intimidating to find yourself lost or broken. Because God has the power to redeem. He has the power to forgive. So rather than hiding those things which are sinful or which are broken, we become really good at bringing them to Jesus and going, okay, Jesus, (laughs) I have some brokenness. It's really easy to point to our full trees of maturity and say, look how, look how awesome, look how awesome my full grown tree is that's producing fruit in these specific ways. But it's really, really hard to point to seed places in our life and go, look, this is so immature. It hasn't even got above ground yet. This thing is like, it's just, it's, it's there. And I'm watering it but it's totally fragile and it's not helpful to anybody yet. Hasn't produced fruit or shade for anybody. There's some ingredients inside of us that maturity actually hurts our ability to partner with God in those ways. Because when you're mature in certain Christian things, you could go, look at how good I prophesy. Look at my miracles. Look at the way they flow out of my hands. I touched that person and they got healed. And sometimes when we have these incredibly full-grown things that are a benefit and that are a praise in community, it's really hard for us to partner with God in the areas of lack, in the areas that don't produce any fruit yet, that are kind of embarrassing. I remember when I, I, I got into a prophetic class for the first time. That was the worst feeling ever. I'm not naturally prophetically gifted or anything like that. And when they stood me in front of somebody and told me to prophesy to them for 60 seconds... I'm not kidding. That was the longest 60 seconds of my life. I actually think it was Kelly Wicks. Kelly Wicks is over there. It was Kelly Wicks. Well, sorry. Yeah, at the time it was Kelly Wicks. It's Smith. Now she's married. I think I was sitting in front of her and I literally said nothing, guys. They're like, share a word, encouraging, edifying, exhorting. I didn't even need to worry about the rules because I didn't say anything. It was the worst feeling ever. It was a tiny little immature, undeveloped seed inside of me. But if they had asked me to break strongholds, could have done it. If they had asked me to go into the thick of battle and start swinging a sword with no concern of my own life, I could have done it. I could have fought for people. I could have done a lot of cool things and would have been like, look at my mature tree. Look how awesome I am. But instead, they asked me to prophesy to somebody. <laughs> and I looked like a fool because I had nothing. I looked like a fool because I had nothing. And it was humiliating. It was humbling. Very, very humbling. And then you go, wow. Okay, God, well, there's nothing here. So let's grow together. I've got nothing to stand on. I've got no legs to stand on. I've got no maturity of my own in this way to stand on. But God, do a work in my life. 
share words with me for my own life and for others' life as it relates to edification, exhortation, encouragement. I really love that. I want to love people like that. So God, do a work in my life that doesn't exist yet. I know you're in there. I know there's the potential of it, but I don't have that maturity or fruitfulness. So would you do that work in me, God? I'll walk into uncomfortable spaces with you. I'll be intimidated and I'll be fearful. And I'll do it anyways. Because I want to see you fully realized in my life. Does that make sense? As we finish this time, I want to encourage you to, to imagine to imagine the ways that Jesus is growing inside of you. The things that he's focusing on with you. And becoming really good at partnering with those fragile states of growth that he has you in. What is it that you need to protect? What is it that you need to abstain from? What is it that you need to cultivate? At some point, Jess and I's, uh, you know, so at some point in each of our uh, four kids, she was pregnant for what felt like an eternity. And so at some point, it it kind of felt like hope deferred. Like, when's this going to happen? Like, this is forever. It's, I know it's nine to 10 months right in that range, right? But it felt like years of pregnancy for each one. At certain points, because unfulfilled birthing, unfulfilled potential inside of us, we hit a pocket in a season of deferred hope that leads to sickness. So I want to pray a prayer today that allows God to restore our hope in Him. And sometimes I actually think that we get sick because we've been hoping in the wrong things and they haven't been delivering. So I saw two things on the hopelessness today, one of which was God restoring a hope inside of us for things that related to what God was doing in our life. God, we, we restore and we ask you to restore our hope in what you're doing. And the other aspect was, God, I, I actually, I'm going to take my hope from the things I've been hoping and putting my trust in. I'm going to remove that hope and I'm going to give it to you. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.